Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It is great to have you here with us today. Excited to uh, get into this story and journey today. Hey, as a reminder, we are on episode 102, 102 right now, and uh Last week, we celebrated the 100th episode of the How Did You Get Into That podcast. And to celebrate that, we are doing a $100 gift card giveaway. So you can go to grantbaldwin.com slash contest and uh, get all the details on that. It's totally free to enter to register for that. But again, uh, I'd encourage you to stop by to do that. The deadline is actually the end of next week. So don't ding around. Don't mess around. Make sure that you head straight over to that and uh, take care of that. grantbaldwin.com slash contest. Now, today, we've got my buddy, Brian Kelly, who's joining us. Brian is a guy that is known well in the miles and points world. So if you travel much, and and as you may know, I travel quite a bit, a lot for business, for speaking, and I do a lot of our family travels a lot. So I enjoy racking up frequent flyer miles and points. And so Brian is a guy who teaches people how to not only accrue miles and points, but also how to best use them. So he makes his living doing this. He, He was on on Wall Street and had a, a job there in, in uh, New York City, but it was like, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this. I'm racking up a lot of miles and points, and people are asking me all these questions, and so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by maybe teaching other people about this thing. So he has a great, great story about how he got into this, how he got started and built his business around his passion. So let's get right into it, my friends, and enjoy this interview with Brian Kelly. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Brian Kelly, who is the founder of The Points Guy, a uh, online website uh, all about travel and travel hacking that we're going to get into and uh, talk about his story and journey today. So, Brian, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, the points guy. Now, I am familiar with you as someone who travels quite a bit, and uh, I am all in, all about the uh, the miles and points stuff and the status stuff of, of travel that makes it a little more bearable. So, tell us what exactly is the points guy? What exactly do you do? Well, the points guy started out as my blog. You know, I used to work on Wall Street traveling nonstop and maximize miles and points. I was putting everything on my corporate card. So I started the pointsguy.com just as a way to kind of share my tips on all the best deals to my family and friends. And I just started to grow and grow. And four years later, we're, we've got a, a full-time team of five and a big editorial staff. And we cover everything from frequent flyer program changes, credit cards, but also top travel deals and giving people travel inspiration to try out new places. And we were talking a little bit beforehand and, and just about this whole idea of what it is that you do. And you feel like you really have uh, landed the dream job or even, I guess, created the dream job for yourself. You know, so often people come up to me and say, oh, well, if you want to be a journalist, would you want to work for Condé Nast Traveler? And I firmly say with a straight face, if they offered me the editor-in-chief job at Condé Nast Traveler, I'd turn it down in a second. Why would I want to work... In a framework where you're constricted at right. the point sky, we, we run everything ourselves. We decide what we want to do. Today, I'm booking a trip to Cuba because I feel like it. And I'm going to right. do some video content on teaching people how to book travel to Cuba. And instead of waiting for that to come out in a magazine in three months, I can film a video and have it up on the site and to our hundreds of thousands of social followers in minutes, which I find exciting. So yeah, yeah I get to travel the world and uh, make a decent living doing it. So yeah, yeah, there's much no other job that I'd want. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool gig. Now, for someone that may not travel a lot, may not be familiar with the, the mile and point world, just give us like an overview of, of what are miles and points? How do they work? Well, basically, miles and points are a multi-billion dollar industry backed pretty much by the credit card company. So 
All the airlines, hotels have these loyalty programs, right? You fly a certain amount or stay or get their co-branding credit card. And in a nutshell, you can maximize a lot of these programs. So they don't all equate to the value of the ticket when you redeem. So for some frequent flyer programs, whether you fly from San Diego to Istanbul, it's the same price as Boston to Dublin, even though it's twice the distance and twice the cost. That doesn't really make sense, right? So we teach people how to maximize each and every frequent flyer program, hotel program, so that they can get the most value out of what they do. So it's a free site. And really, we, we just have a team of people digging into the nitty gritty, the stuff that no one really wants to do. And then we write about it in a pretty relatable manner so that if you've got Amex points, I guarantee if you read our series on Amex points, you will get much more value out of them by simply educating yourself. Which I can attest as a nerd that likes to follow this type of stuff, that there is a ridiculous amount of nitty gritty that goes into it that you guys research and uncover for, for the rest of us out there. Yep. Well, that's, that's what we do. And you know, that's what keeps it exciting for me because these programs change all the time. Yeah. And it's about keeping ahead of the game and not getting downtrodden. Oh, this is the end of frequent flyer miles. It's not. It's just you always have to. Yes, there's going to be devaluations and airlines will make it harder. But that's what makes it more fun for me. You know, I always say it's like sitting down to do a crossword puzzle. You got to figure out your plan of attack. And when you're done and you book the trip or finish the puzzle, it's a huge rush. Yeah, I oftentimes find that it's more fun to just book the travel and figure out the logistics than it is sometimes just to go on the trip itself. Absolutely. And that's what we try to teach people too: find the availability and build an amazing vacation around it. Right. You know, unless you have to be somewhere for a wedding, be flexible. And, you know, the best time to use frequent flyer miles is last minute. So if you've got an adventurous personality and flexibility, you know, miles can be even more valuable because really last minute there's availability to everywhere in the world. It's people are shocked when they find out because most people think you have to book a year in advance, which is not the case. Right. Absolutely. Now paint us a picture though for someone like yourself who is using a lot of these miles and points on a regular basis. Like how often are you taking trips? How many trips are you going on? And how many of those are you paying for with just miles and points that are essentially free for you? Well, I mean, I need to be upfront. I mean, now that I'm running the successful business and website, you know, so much of my travel is now a business expense that I run through the business, but I still use miles and points because even if my company's making a ton of money, I'm still not going to spend 20 grand on a first class ticket when I can spend 100,000 frequent flyer miles. So next week I'm going to Asia. I'm flying over Singapore Airlines first class. I use Chase points to Singapore and then I'm flying home, actually Chase to us or American Express points to Singapore and then flying home using 80,000 Chase points transferred to Korea and I'm flying first class in their A380 from Hong Kong, Seoul, New York out of pocket was 300 bucks for 20,000 in flights, you know, and, and 160 or 40,000 points. So I still get the rush out of doing it. And right. you know, most of my long haul trips in first class, I've never paid for international first class domestically here and there. I usually pay for my tickets, but it's really all about the international flights, the ones that are crazy expensive. And it is a rush to uh, redeem and get them for pretty much free. For sure. For sure. Now, where did you grow up? Did you travel a lot as a kid? So I didn't. I was born in uh, Long Island, New York, and moved to outside of Philly when I was eight. And we started traveling. I got into the points game in the 90s. My dad was a healthcare consultant, and, and he got a job working from home for a startup, and he didn't know how to use a computer. So he was an executive with the company working for a startup, and, and I was always just a savvy kid, uh, yeah. 1990 on my IBM computer learning DOS. There you um, go. So I actually, my first business was charging him 10 bucks a reservation, and I would book his travel on Travelocity. And... <laughs> He thought it was like awesome. the hardest thing in the world. Meanwhile, I'm like snickering. Like it took like two seconds to book his travel, but he thought I was like dealing with, you know, call centers and whatever. But um, so yeah, in the '90s, we began realizing he had all these points, and he said, well, "What can we do with them?" 
And I looked into it when I was 13. I booked our first trip. I'm one of four kids, and we went to the Cayman Islands. And it was the first time we'd ever left the country. We didn't even know what the Cayman Islands were. I had just read the, the book The Firm by John Grisham, and yeah. they went there. So I was like, that sounds really cool. So <laughs> I booked our family, and I rented a house on VRBO, which I still use to this day. Yep. We had the most incredible time. And, it, and our family of six went to the Caribbean to an expensive island for less than what it would have cost to go to the Jersey Shore. Yeah. So that made me realize – like, this is incredible. So it kind of became a bonding thing between me and my dad throughout the 90s. Every year, we would maximize his points. And uh, you know, we would uh, clip coupons from a Life Cereal, had 500 American Airline miles coupons. So we were buying all this different cereal. So it was really fun. But I never in a million years thought that I would later become the points guy and uh, you know, with the website with millions of readers all about so you're, so you're playing around with the points and, and you at least get a taste for it. And I think a lot of people, we've had that similar experience of, you know, you book something for the first time, you feel like you're beating the game and you feel like you're getting something for nothing. And it's this amazing experience, but it's one thing to have that experience. It's another thing to like fast forward and to do it as your career. So you get that first taste of it, but then where do you go from there? Are you, you said you, you worked on Wall Street for a while? Yeah. So, you know, I went to college and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I actually, I started to get into frequent flyer miles in college. I was student body president at the University of Pittsburgh and I studied abroad in Madrid, went on a cheap spring break ticket to Ireland. It was like 300 bucks, but it was like 10 different segments. So all of a sudden I had US Airways gold status as a college senior. <laughs> and I, I, my dad had dropped to silver and we were flying together and I got upgraded to first class and he got, he was in coach. I'm like, this is incredible. I am a college student with negative net worth. And I'm in first class and my dad, who didn't maintain the status, is in, is in economy. That's still amazing that you can work the system on paid tickets as well. So yeah. that's when I found Flyer Talk in 2005 and just was like mind blown that there's this forum with other people like me, you know, that are maximizing promotions. And it gets addictive because uh, I remember when U.S. Airways launched their credit card in 2005, they had uh, 99 cent flights. And Crazy. someone gave me the 99 cent flight they won to Paris and the community that was there all around miles and points. And then I actually started meeting up with people, you know, at these meetups and stuff. So it really took off from there. But then uh, I moved to New York after college and just got whatever job I could uh, being a, a buyer for Lord and Taylor. But from there, when I, I got a job at Morgan Stanley and started traveling a lot. And, and all of my years prior, all that experience with miles and points came front and center when I was traveling six months out of the year. And I was, you know, it was up to me to book hotels and airlines and I was putting corporate events and I was making 200,000 uh, points a month just from travel and events. And that's when I was like, okay, it's good that I have this base of knowledge in the back of my head. Let's dust it off. Right, for sure. All right. So while you're doing this stuff with, with Lord and Taylor, you're working with Morgan Stanley, are you enjoying those jobs? Are you feeling like, all right, this is it and I'm just going to do the pastime on the side or is it feeling like this is not it? I'm just buying myself time until yeah. I figure out what I want to do. But like, where are you thinking at that yeah, point? So in, in Morgan Stanley was interesting. So I, got, I was doing recruiting for their high tech computer scientists and engineers to basically my job was to go to colleges and convince smart computer scientists not to join Google and Apple. Yeah. And that used to actually be a decent sell when the economy was doing good. But I joined Morgan Stanley August of 07, literally the week that the market started to get all crazy. Right, <laughs> right, right. Trading for and everyone's like, why are shares doubling? Millions of shares, you know, all these records being broken. So I liked my job for a little while, but then it became extremely, extremely depressing in an 08, 09 and 10, in the depths of the Great Recession, I was in HR. I luckily didn't lose my job, but I was on a team of six, and it went down to me. And because I was in HR, I was helping with all the layoffs. So nonstop. It was actually like up in the air. I was traveling a ton for work, and then whenever I was in New York, they'd always 
bring me in to walk people out of the building when, when they get laid off because I'm six foot seven and I sat in HR. So they were like, we need your help today. So I can't tell you how many hundreds of people I walked out of the building. You know, people who have been there for 40 years, uh-huh. I escorted them out during those layoffs. So it became very taxing and it, it became very apparent that the corporate lifestyle and scratching your way to the top to simply get let go after 30 years of service wasn't really what I wanted to do. So the whole- yeah, when, when, when my bonuses were non-existent and my salary was stagnant, even after getting promoted, that's when I was like, I got to do something different. So that's, I mean, it sounds like the whole corporate experience kind of soured you. I don't regret anything. I think working at Morgan Stanley, even now running a business, having that HR background is invaluable. So I value everything. And you know what? Morgan Stanley allowed me to get on the road and start maximizing points like never before. And that's right. why I have what I have. So, but that being said, if everything here went kaput tomorrow, I would never go back to the large, you know, financial services type background. I love the creativity of a smaller business and startup, but it's great for certain things and um, it pushes you. I was so frustrated with getting screwed year after year. I remember my managing director said, oh, well, we can't give you a raise, but here's a bottle of Kettle One. And I'm like, not even Grey Goose? Like, what the heck? You know, like, so... I think you make a great point there, though, that, that I think a lot of people probably feel in a similar spot where they're in a job that they don't really like and they're frustrated and they're not really sure, like, this isn't leading to anything and I'm not really going anywhere in terms of my career and I just feel stuck and I feel trapped. Yeah. But for you, like, it sounds like hindsight looking back, you're like, yeah, it wasn't the best of situations, but I started learning about miles and points and I started being able to accumulate a massive amount of miles and points to be able to spend that and kind of learn that game and that system. So being there, although it wasn't the, the best of environments or best of situations, situations, it allowed me this opportunity that led to what I'm doing today. And I think that's just important for people to realize, like, even if you're in a spot that you absolutely hate, my guess is that there's probably things that you can still pull from it and learn from it that will uh, be relevant and applicable to future endeavors that you may be a part of. A hundred percent. And you know, I'm in a crowded field of other bloggers. And I actually, I firmly believe coming from Morgan Stanley, New York City, really tough environment in terms of work, I know how to navigate the corporate world and I know what corporate travelers go through, most importantly. I yeah. live that life. So now when I blog about my experiences and doing what I do and why other people like me, you know, most of my readers are people like me who used to work for Morgan Stanley, consultants, people who are traveling a ton. So I get what they're going through. I'm never going to write about a deal that's going to waste someone's time for 25 cents in value, right? Like I, right. I think that's why my blog has kind of surpassed in in traffic, at least all of the other blogs in my sphere, because I kind of get what our core customer goes through because I live that. Right. So yeah, I I definitely value Morgan Stanley is a great company. It was just a terrible time in all of financial services and and frankly, most sectors. So luckily I was just able to parlay that into something that uh, was more lucrative and, and flexible for me. How long were you with Morgan Stanley before you decided to pull the plug? So I was there almost four years. It was just under four years. So I started blogging for fun June of 2010, no one read my site for about six months, and then it started to heat up. April of 2011, the uh, New York Times covered my site, and it just changed the game. And I got into advertising and realized that this was an area where so many people were clueless, but it was very lucrative, right? There's billion-dollar credit card companies who have products. They don't even know what their products do. I know it better than them. So why, you know, I was basically describing why certain consumers should get cards, 
And then it was June of 2011. So a year from the date of my first blog post, I left Morgan Stanley to pursue it full time. Did you think whenever you started the blog that this is going to turn into something full time? Or is it just kind of like, let's just try this and see where it goes? Never, 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 never. It wasn't even about revenue. And I didn't have any advertising on the site. I had originally started my business, The Points Guy, before it was the blog. It was a award booking service. So I was charging mm-hmm. people 50 bucks because people would come up to me all day long. Hey, help me book a trip to Paris. Help me book a trip to Egypt. And I would do it for free. And then my partner at the time was like, dude, charge people. You know, people will pay for your skill. You're saving them thousands. So that's what the points guy was at first. It was a shell site with a form where you would PayPal me 50 bucks, tell me what miles and points you had and where you wanted to go. And if it looked like I could help you, I would accept it and then email you back with, this is how you do it. Call this airline, this flight, this fare class. It started from there. And that actually became somewhat lucrative, but it was like, it was not scalable. You know, right. I couldn't create more hours in the day for myself. And I remember vividly when my dad was like, you need to figure out how to make money in your sleep. And I was like, okay, yeah, doesn't everyone want dollars printing from everywhere? <laughs> but after I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I need a business model that just doesn't depend on me. I know I'm talented, but that's not going to cut it. You know, so that's what my friend said. Start blogging. Originally, I thought the blog would bring in more clients so I could set up like a call center and train people. But it was when the uh, credit cards came knocking at my door saying, hey, look, we think you're pretty talented to know our products. Why don't you start, you know, advertising, you know, let us advertise with you. And then the rest was history. Yeah, because I was kind of wondering that when when someone I'm thinking for someone that may be listening, it's like I've got this really good base of knowledge on, on this, whatever that thing may be. And there's a lot of ways that you could go about monetizing it. So you could take that base of knowledge and you could kind of scale up the booking service and charge more and, and hire some people to help you with that. And we, you know, there's people that in this space that do that. So uh, you could have gone that route or you could do more of the what you're doing today in the blog and the advertising or you could do some other form of, of consulting. So when you're in that spot and you've got a lot of different options of how you can take this base of knowledge and do something with it. What was kind of the framework that you went through deciding the path that you're on today? I think I ended up naturally. So right after I left Morgan Stanley, CNN called and they said, we want you to go on air and talk about miles and points. And I was mortified. But, you know, I think what became very apparent very quickly was I was capable of explaining complex topics to wide audiences of people with relative ease. And I remember after my first CNN segment, I was mortified, but I was like, that was really cool. And I got all this feedback from my family and friends like, you did great. In three minutes, you were able to give three really great tips. And that's what, you know, with the blog post, I get the most satisfaction out of a blog post that starts going viral, that people are emailing me, interacting. I was always active on social media way before the other bloggers and still are. I'm still the most active miles and points blogger in social. So I've always enjoyed the people to people, large scale interaction, large scale teaching of concepts versus sitting down at the computer introvertedly kind of booking award tickets. Now, many people are very good at that. I just I've always known, and that was my job as a salesman in in HR at Morgan Stanley. I was going to MIT in front of 200 people way smarter than me, but convincing them to join Morgan Stanley over Google. That's always, so it's kind of like, I never thought that being a blogger and and media personality on miles and points would be what I'd want to do. But when you look back over all of the skills that I had and loved doing, it all kind of, you know, pushed me in the right direction. And yeah, I, I think people just need to Look at what they're good at and what you enjoy doing. Like when you get that moment of like happiness when someone gives you praise over something that you did, follow that because and push yourself to explore that new directions. TV was certainly very awkward in the beginning, but now I'm one of the only people that can get quoted on TV because none of the other bloggers want to do that, which is fine with me, but it's right. also why I've been able to grow my site dramatically quicker than others. 
because I pushed myself out of the comfort zone and, and taught myself a new skill that was basically in line with what I was doing before, just at a higher level. Let's talk about that uh, that first CNN experience or whenever you're going to MIT to recruit and or that when the New York Times piece comes out and you feel it sounds like you have a lot of imposter syndrome during that time where you're just like, what the crap am I doing here? Like, why are, would oh, yeah. anybody listen to me? And I think a lot of like anybody like starting or even like today, maybe you still feel like that at times. So how do you kind of get over that mental hurdle of feeling like, no, no, like I have this base of knowledge that people are yeah. interested in and I can bring yeah. this and present it, you know, in an eloquent way that helps people to understand it. So how do you get over yeah. that imposter syndrome? It, it it was the same. You're totally right. Going to MIT, I wasn't a, you know, I studied Spanish and economics, didn't get great grades in college. And I'm like, how am I going to be at MIT with brilliant people and speak in front of them? But it's everything is just about your confidence, right? And a lot of things, you just have to do it. The first couple of information sessions, I'm sure I was crappy in speaking and selling. Sure. But I became really, really good at it because I listened to what other people were doing and I keenly paid attention to, you know, what people needed to hear. People don't want to hear you. The whole point is, and especially going on TV and media and talking about miles and points, the goal is to not like convince you that I'm smarter than you. Like you go in there and especially with TV and miles and points, the biggest turning point for me was taking media training, a, a course where I was super analyzed by a panel of people in radio and TV mock interviews. And it was mortifying to watch myself, but it was really, really amazing to get the, just that candid feedback. And just learn the techniques. And, you know, there are techniques to uh, public speaking. And yes, a lot of it is practicing, but a lot of it you need to listen to experts and really internalize what they tell you and not be afraid of that criticism. It's hard to, to look at yourself and criticize, but you can learn so much. So I think I really started to do better on the, on the TV interviews after I went to that training. And uh, yeah, it's just you have to push yourself, though. It's hard to take that criticism. Well, I think you make a great point there, too. Like, uh, I'm a public speaker. I've been a professional speaker for about seven years. That's my full-time living. And so that's kind of that's part of how I, I came across you guys was uh, traveling quite a bit and on lots of flights and hotels. And so just kind of understanding the game to better maximize things. But yeah, people ask me, like, how do you become a good speaker? And it's like, well, the first time you speak, you suck. You know, and the yeah. first time you're on TV, you suck. But you get better over time. And so the only way to get to the only way to get to, like, iPhone 6 is that you have to create iPhone 1. And you yeah. just start somewhere and you iterate and you get better as you go. And it sounds like that's, that's kind of been the journey for you. Right. But, but so many, and I, myself, I've always liked public speaking kind of, and I always thought I was good at it, but then I, you know, you realize you have to step back and be critical of yourself to get to the next level. So yeah, I, I think that self being critical and, and going to experts and taking their advice is, is key. And I do that today in every aspect of my business. You know, we're, we're launching new media lines and new types of advertising and you know, I think I'm a good marketer and I've built a successful business, but there's so many ways I can improve. And until I step back and say, well, look, I'm actually not that great in social media marketing. Let's bring in experts and tell me every meeting I walk into, I say, tell me what we've been doing wrong, because to me, that's low hanging fruit. Right. Yeah. So before we do any new strategy, tell me everything I've been doing wrong, because I'm confident enough in my business. I'm proud of my business, but I know there are so many more places it can go. But not until I realize that, guess what? I'm not the master of everything. And Having that attitude and going and being open to what you've done wrong and learning from it, I think, is really, really important. Yeah. So let's talk about whenever you first quit the job at Morgan Stanley, you've got the blog going. What are those first few months going like? Are you, do you immediately feel traction and feel like, all right, we've got this? Or are you still feeling like, maybe I made the wrong decision? Maybe I pulled the, the ripcord too soon? How are you feeling? It was a wild time because it was um, I was on the forefront of the blogs who got credit card links and was making good income. But the affiliate marketing companies, the in-between never didn't pay for like three or four months. So I, I actually took a $10,000 loan from my parents to pay for my bills. And, you know, I immediately the day I quit Morgan Stanley, I actually went on a plane to Tokyo. I'd never been to Asia. 
So I kind of went on a first solo trip ever to Tokyo by myself in June. It was amazing. The city was empty because it was right after the nuclear meltdown. So <laughs> it was actually a really good time to actually get to travel and, um, you know, just kind of explore what I wanted to do. And I never really panicked. I mean, I always knew, like, this is special. And revenue, I'm not going to lie, revenue was really good. I was making pretty much my yearly salary in a month. So as long as they paid, everything would be fine. And, and it ended up being fine. I just continued moving forward. And, and very soon after I quit, I, you know, the, the revenues were good, but I invested in people. So I brought on an editor, some other writers. You know, some of the other bloggers gave me crap like, oh, you're selling out or you're, you have ghostwriters. But I'm like, no, no one person can run every aspect of a business. And you're naive to think that if you're that smart, it's just not going to happen. So I'm happy now. I have a team of five full-time people and 10 pretty active uh, contributors. And it shows. That's why we're double the size of our next uh, competitor. Right. So let's talk about the competition for a second, just in the space that it's a unique niche, this mile and point world. But at the same time, it's a very crowded niche. There's a lot of blogs that talk about these things. So how do you stand out? And granted, you've been at it for a little while. So that helps to kind of be one of the people in the forefront. But how do you stand out in such a, a crowded space? Well, I think I've always, you know, and when I came onto the scene, I wasn't the first blog. There were several others years before me, but they weren't publishing daily. So I came on the scene and said, look, I'm from New York. I was going to their websites and actually, you know, several of them are my friends. Uh, Last night I was just hanging out with Ben from One Mile at a Time. He's a friend. But, you know, they were updating two or three times a week. And I remember going to their sites, refreshing and refreshing and being so frustrated. I'm like, I want more content. So I, you know, when I came and started blogging, I said every single day, no matter what, we'll have at least one post. And since day one, that's been true. So I approached it more as a business from the beginning, building an audience. I, you know, I researched blogging and how to build an audience. There's like some information there, but at the end of the day, I listen to my readers. I react to the content that they like. I run analytics. I run data. I look for trends and I hire writers to write content my readers want to read. So, you know, and I've also diversified, you know, a lot of the bloggers dive deep into tiny rabbit holes of data for experts, which is good, but I've always wanted to build the points guy for everyone so that someone who's new to the game can come to the site and not be completely like, this is, is this Chinese? Right. So, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the other bloggers gave me crap in the beginning. Oh, you're selling out. You're writing general travel pieces. What do you think you are? Lonely Planet. But guess what? It paid off because if you want to build a huge audience, you can't be digging into the nitty, nitty, nitty details of how to transfer Omnipon Airways points and, and book around-the-world multi-segment trips. It's just not – most people don't want that information. Right. We Actually, we had, uh, we had Ben on the, uh, on the show back in episode 18 several, several months ago. And yes. uh, so, yeah, just uh, similar stories. They're just like I, I've got this unique set of skills. And, but great interview. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to, again, episode 18 with Ben Schlopik. But let's talk about that for a second, though, where you mentioned that you wanted to create something for every man. But there's also a lot of advice out there in the, the blog world in any space that would say, like, don't speak to everybody. Talk to, like, a, a certain niche. And so going deeper instead of wider. So – how have you managed to go wide? And it sounds like you're, you're going wide and deep kind of at the same right. time. Yeah, I think you can have both. You know, like the, we do up to 10 posts a day now. You're not going to be interested in all 10. I guarantee you won't. But that's why we're actually building new technology. You know, Facebook is great at showing you only the posts that interest you on your newsfeed. You don't see every single post of every single friend. So, And so much of our traffic, too, is search engine optimization and I don't have my million and a half monthly readers don't come every single day to every post, but we've got such a wide net of content that's all related around travel and maximizing that, um, you know, we may write a post that you think is stupid, but someone that may trend on Google and for three years bring us 10,000 people a month. 
So I, I've actually been very into the SEO. I firmly are, you know, the points guy is maximized SEO wise better than any other travel blog. Um, and be, that's because I paid attention to it from day one. And to this day, so many of my other bloggers don't pay attention to the importance of titling posts. And I'm not going to give away all my tricks, but, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a huge science behind blogging that right. most right. people don't get that I've always found fascinating. Well, I think that's a great point there. That it's, it's more than just like, all right, I'm just going to whip up an article and throw it online. And if you build it, they will come. And they're like, that doesn't work. Like you have no. to be really, really strategic. People ask me too about like speaking, like how do you get booked to speak? Do I just make a website and wait for the phone to ring? It's like, that doesn't work. Like you have to be really, really intentional and strategic to put yourself in a position for people to find what it is that you offer. I was asked to speak at a bunch of seminars. Did I really want to speak at the New York Times travel show? No, but I put myself out there and spoke in front of 600 people and, and got 100 of them as, as readers. And yeah, you just have to hustle. I have the hustle factor. I will make it happen. You know, I think the hustle factor is a good thing. And just relentlessly chasing what you want. I've had doors slammed in my face. And I mean, running your business on the internet, you, you know, I have tons of trolls that tell me horrible things about me and my family, but I don't care. I will relentlessly continue to do what I do. And of course, taking feedback along the way. And I've changed a lot of the ways that we've done things and how we advertise and everything. But, but at the end of the day, I have a vision and, and you just have to consistently chase after it. Let's wrap up with that and just talking about that hustle piece that, that's so important in any business. Again, this isn't just applicable for just entrepreneurs, but employees in general, that if you want to you know, create the type of position that you want to have in, uh, in terms of your career, like you have to hustle. You have to make that work. And so there are days where it feels good to hustle and it feels it's really easy to hustle. You know, Whenever you are day one of the blog, oh, this is easy. I can do this. I can crank up a post. But when you're trying to do a post every single day and you get to month two and three and four and you just don't feel like it... Like, like how do you keep pushing on with something that over time may become a little more difficult to hustle? Yeah, you know, for me, that definitely came about, especially when I was blogging and working full time. My relationship was strained. I had no time for anything, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. I loved it. And honestly, it, for me, it was the audience interaction. When I would get emails from people in that, you know, I remember getting an email from someone in Palau that I helped them book a trip home to their sick mother and that they, they stumbled on my site and that, that was amazing. So that would just motivate me to continue going through but also writing the post is just one small aspect. It, it was how do I get the blog out there? I was gritty in the beginning. I was going on Flyer Talk, putting the links to my posts on Twitter, looking for people asking questions about points and retweeting. And, you know, there's hustle factor. Like you can't just write something on this Internet with billions of web pages and expect a huge following to come find you. You know, right. you got to cultivate it. And, uh, and even just beyond, I also go to tons of charity events, events for my friends, meet people, put myself out there. Always, you know, always have business cards. Talk about your blog. I've met some of my employees. I've met on airplanes, simply just talking about uh, what I do, and always being open to answer people's questions. Uh, it's amazing if you just have positive energy about what you're doing and love it. People get that, and then we'll start to, you know, become evangelists for what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Now, I've got a couple other questions about one I want to talk about. If if someone wants to start some type of blog or do something online, not necessarily in the mile point world, just any type of space, what are some of those early steps that they need to do? But then also, I want to talk about. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would say, "All right, I'm intrigued by this mile and point stuff. What are some things I can do early on just to get going?" So we're gonna save that for the bonus round. We're gonna we're gonna come right back on and talk about that. So Brian, in the meantime, where can we send people to find out more about who you are and what you do? So thepointsguy.com is our main website. We've also got our app in the app and Android stores, tpg to go which has all of our blog content as well as a bunch of other really cool tools to help you track and maximize every dollar you spend. Awesome. And and we'll, on, yeah, Twitter, no, the Points Guy, Instagram, the Points Guy, Facebook, the Points Guy. 
the points guy everywhere, everywhere, everywhere we can go. Nice. All right, man. Well, we'll, uh, we'll link up to all that in the show notes as well. And we'll be coming right back at you with a couple more questions. Sound good? Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Hope you enjoyed that chit chat with Brian Kelly, also known as the points guy. Hey, as always, I'd encourage you to stop by grantbaldwin.com. You can pick up the extended bonus material where Brian and I, we stick around for a few more minutes and chit chat. And again, you can download that at grantbaldwin.com slash Brian Kelly. But just a great story about how he took something that he had a lot of people asking him questions about, something he was very knowledgeable on, and was able to turn that into a really, really successful blog and business. And so it's a good thing to ask your own self. It's, it's what are the things that people ask you a lot about? What are the things that people wonder about? You know, for example, people ask me a lot as a speaker. You know, how I got started as a speaker, how they could do something similar. And in fact, we've got a a, a new uh, training program on that called Booked and Paid to Speak. And, and so, if you're interested in that, you can check that out at bookedandpaidtospeak.com. Uh, so, what are those things for you that people are always asking you questions about, or always curious about? And you kind of get the same set of questions over and over from people. Is that something that you could turn into a a, a business or a blog? Or, or some type of a career, or you could just you could use it in some way to further your career or your, or your business or whatever it is that you may be doing. So definitely something to consider and think about there. And a great story from Brian about how he's done that. So uh, I think that wraps up this episode, boys and girls. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you. It really does mean a lot that you're with us. And I dig you. I dig you a lot. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.